So the baby name industry is actually rather big business. If you type baby names into a Google search, you will find that everyone from diaper companies like Huggies and Pampers, all the way over to the Social Security Administration are jumping in on their list of what are the most popular or the most unique names of a given year. But if you're trying to find a name that you think is gonna be that right name for your kid, maybe you're not wanting to look at the popular names, you're wanting to find something that's unique or special. So you've got a plethora of books that you can go to. There's the name book which although it only has about 10,000 names, it does promise that it will give you the spiritual significance for each one of those names. You've got the 22,000 plus baby names that not only gives you a ton of name options, but will let you know where those names were in popularity depending on the year. You've got the 100,000 plus baby names that includes every possible spelling. So if you want your kid's name to stand out and be unique, this is the book for you. You've got the complete baby name book that has a 100,001 plus of the best baby names. And of course, if none of those work, there is the baby name wizard, which promotes a magical method for finding the perfect name for your baby. Now, names are really important to us. Um, we think about uh, something that's going to be unique and wonderful and special for our kid. Uh, we want something maybe that is really sounds good and is beautiful to us. I am very ashamed and sad to admit that when I was a child, I was convinced that the most beautiful name in the world was Petunia. And I could not wait to grow up and have a daughter so that I could name her Petunia. Um, perhaps we want a name that gives our child identity, placing them in line with some sort of historical figure that has done something that we found significant, or maybe somebody in our family that we want to honor or that we thought was very special in our lives. My husband's middle name is Lewis. He was named in honor of his grandfather who died when Barrett's father was just 16 years old. Interestingly enough, it was about 15 or 20 years later that um, the family was doing some genealogical work and discovered that lo and behold, the grandfather's name had never been Lewis. Nobody knows why he was given the name Lewis or how he was called Lewis. His birth name was really John. So maybe that wasn't the right name for Barrett. I don't know. Um, Sometimes we look for names that will say something about what we think of the child's meaning or significance. Um, we find a name that we hope will say something about who the child is going to become, um, or maybe identify characteristics that we hope that eventually that child will imbibe. I know that when Barrett and I started into the adoption journey, we had all these names that we thought were really great and we kind of narrowed it down to a few that we really liked. But when we saw that first picture of the little baby who was to become our son, it became really important for us to find the right name. And for us, the name Isaac, um, not only was one that we liked because it meant laughter, but it really became one that signified for us the promises of God that were coming to pass in this little baby. And also God's blessings to us in that we were able to become parents in our older age. And I know that uh, when we were thinking about middle names, we originally had landed on Lewis, but when we realized that his birth parents had actually given him a different first name, we took that name and made it the middle name so he would still have also some connection to his family heritage. And when people meet us, so very often they're saying, so does Isaac live up to his name? And I think as many of you have now come to recognize, yes, he absolutely does. He is full of laughter. And when finding the right name, one of the last things we want is for somebody to comment on the name that we've given our, our kid or are thinking about giving. Um, and we definitely don't want somebody else to try to name our kid for us. Now, years ago, when my aunt and uncle were expecting their second child, 
my great-grandmother, who was just this force to be reckoned with, was convinced that they were going to be having a boy. And when that boy was born, in no uncertain terms, he was to be named Caesar Matthew. Now, my uncle was kind of desperate at his wits end. He didn't know what to do because Caesar Matthew was not anywhere on the name list that he and his wife had picked out. And at the same time, nobody really told great grandma no. And so in desperation, my uncle actually went out and he adopted a dog whom he promptly named Caesar Matthew. And then he went to my grandmother, great grandmother in great apology and said, grandma, I'm so sorry, but I cannot name my child after a dog. Now, fortunately for him, he also had a daughter. Uh, and so that whole business of naming the child Caesar Matthew ended for good. But really, we want the right name. We want it for ourselves. We definitely want it for our kids. And sometimes we're even a little manic about trying to find that right name for our pets. And our text this evening points us to that important moment in which Mary and Joseph take the child to the temple for his circumcision. Now, this is that moment in which he is brought into the community and when he's given his name. And as we look at our text in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it tells us that when the time came for him to be circumcised, they named the baby Jesus. Now, we know that this was not a family name. A few weeks ago, if you were at Savior, uh, we actually read through the genealogy in Matthew. And if you even look at the next chapter in Luke chapter 3, you find another genealogy. And nowhere in there do you find the name Jesus. But we also recognize that this was not a name that Mary and Joseph came up with. Luke tells us that this was the name that the angel had given him before the child was ever conceived. Kind of breaks a lot of the conventions here. And so this verse really beckons us to go back into our story, to look in on this conversation that the angel Gabriel has with Mary to see what actually transpires here. So we're going to go back one chapter to Luke chapter one to see what the angel actually says. So I'm going to start in verse 26 just to give us a little bit of context. And it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting might this be? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You will name him Jesus. Now, if we ask some of the same questions of Jesus' name that we consider when we're naming our own kids, we do find some really interesting things. First, let's look at meaning. What does the name Jesus mean? It means Yahweh is salvation or God saves. In Matthew's gospel, we find another account of when the angel Gabriel actually visits Joseph in a dream to say, hey, it's okay to, to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. The baby that she's going to have is going to be born of God. And in that dream, Gabriel also tells Joseph, look, his name is going to be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. The second, when we ask the question, where does the name Jesus fit within his heritage? 
we have to start looking, you know, what maybe famous or significant people in his past is this put Jesus in line with. And we recognize that Jesus is Jewish. And part of the Jewish narrative, one of the most prominent stories for them is the story of the Exodus and the entrance into the promised land. And when you go to that story, you do find a very significant person with that same name. And we find it in Joshua. Now, interestingly, Joshua is not the birth name that his father gives him. When none um, takes him to be circumcised, he actually gives him the name Hosea, which means just simply salvation. Now, Hosea is kind of this right-hand helper for Moses. We find him on Mount Sinai when Moses is given the law. When Moses goes into the tabernacle to meet with God, we find that um, Hosea is also there with him and often lingers in the tabernacle. And when we get to Numbers 13, we hear the recounting of when Moses is sending the 12 spies into the land of Canaan to spy out the promised land. And Hosea is one of those that he chooses. When you look at verse 16, it says that Moses actually renames Hosea to Joshua. And I think there's this interesting shift of power and pointing um, of uh, significance here because it goes from just being salvation to God is salvation. It is God who saves. And so when we think about what Gabriel tells Mary, that she should name her son essentially Joshua, she knew that this put Jesus in line squarely with Israel's story. Joshua was the leader of the Israelites who led them into the promised land, who helped them conquer and settle down in Canaan. We always sing, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? We know him as a warrior, a deliverer, a leader, the person who brought Israel into that promise that was given to Abraham. And so by naming her own son, Jesus, Mary knew that Jesus was now in line with that first Joshua and that his name would fittingly describe Jesus's role in leading Israel again into their promise. Now, as if to confirm this, Gabriel pronounces that Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. He says, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. What Gabriel announces is the fulfillment of Israel's great promises. And the name Jesus fully captures what this promise means. God really has come to deliver and save his people through one who is going to be great, who is in line with David and who will reign forever. And this fulfillment is what we find squarely and fully resting on this baby that has been born to Mary. Now, in all of this, especially if you're just reading the story from the beginning, you find ourselves with this imagery and symbolism just being swept into these thoughts of this conquering powerful warrior who's going to rout the Romans and is going to establish the strong monarchy and kind of reinstate Israel's dominance as it had been under King David. This is kind of what his followers thought, right? As you go through the gospels, James and John are begging to be on Jesus' right and his left in this established kingdom, right? They're waiting for this powerful moment when Jesus is going to take a literal throne. The disciples constantly argued about who was going to be greatest in this kingdom. And even after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, the disciples still sit him down and say, so Lord, it is now the time you're going to put your kingdom here on earth. Is this when Israel is going to reign? They were really looking for this literal kingdom in the right now. But when we look at the life of Jesus, perhaps we have to wonder 
is he living into his name? Before we know the end of the story, as we look at him plodding along, we wonder, this isn't great, right? This isn't what we think about greatness. This is not what we think the son of the most high means. We think we know what characteristics come with kingship, power, might, strength, dominance. You know, I want to just kind of enter this wonderland for a minute and just think, were there by chance moments when Mary and Joseph were wondering if God was really saving? When Rome's power remained in force, when Jesus just went on year after year in this seeming anonymity, when he wasn't propelling forward in prominence among the religious leaders and rulers, they knew what was promised about Jesus and they believed it. And yet everyday life for so many years just seemed to be business as usual. Jesus means God saves. God is saving his people from their sins. But was he really living into his name? In the mundane, the hard, the hurt, the weight, was God really saving? In fact, what was God really up to in this moment? Now, 30 years after his naming, when Jesus began his ministry, he still didn't seem to be living up to his name. He wasn't among the elite religious rulers. In fact, he was hated by them. He wasn't surrounded by the powerful or the popular or the rich. He surrounded himself with this ragtag group of fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, other no-names. He was supported by women. He wasn't raising up this big rebellion against the Romans. And even in those moments when the people were ready to come and make Jesus king by force, Jesus just walks away from it all. And as they waited for God's deliverance, I wonder if saying the name Jesus at times was an act of faith. They didn't see the kingdom coming like they thought. They experienced times of trouble and hardship and persecution and sickness and pain. And yet to say the name of Jesus for them, perhaps at moments, it was a declaration of faith that they believed God was still in the process of saving, even when they couldn't see it even when they didn't understand what he was up to. Now, what I wanna do is pause here for just a moment because I wanna look at another moment in which we are told that Jesus is named. And it comes from another of our readings from this evening in Philippians chapter two. When we start looking at verse nine, we're told that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. It was an exalted name, it was a powerful name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We actually see great parody to what Gabriel had promised, because here um, he's saying, you know, Jesus is going to be great, and he's going to um, be great, he's going to reign. And Philippians is telling us that among everyone on heaven and earth and under the earth, every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the son of the most high. He's come to power in a never ending kingdom. There's a little bit of a twist to this naming. Because at the beginning of verse nine, it says, therefore, God exalted him and gave him a name that was above every other name. And when you come to the word, therefore, you must always ask the question, what is it there for? Why did God exalt Jesus? Why did God see fit to make the name Jesus above every other name? Why is the name Jesus so special? So 
So again, let's go back to the beginning of this text in Philippians chapter two, verse five. Paul admonishes us to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who he says, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Whether he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of these things, God exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. This is not what we expected, is it? He will be called great, the son of the most high, he'll have a throne of David, he'll reign forever. This isn't what reigning looks like. This isn't power, this isn't dominance. And yet, in the name of Jesus, God reveals his upside down kingdom, which throws the rulers, the powers, the principalities, the perspectives, the expectations of the world completely on their head. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus fully lived into his name, but not in the way that the world expects. So let's now look at these two texts in juxtaposition. He will be great. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He will be called the son of the most high. He made himself nothing. He will be given the throne of his ancestor, David, taking the very nature of a servant. He will reign over Israel forever. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. His kingdom will never end. Therefore, he has been given the most exalted name and in his never ending kingdom, every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess that he is Lord. By this very humility and surrender, Jesus did save. His death and his resurrection become that portal through which we are invited into new life in him to the forgiveness of sins and to the kingdom of God. And because of this very unexpected pathway, we find that the name Jesus, God saves, is also an invitation. The confession that Jesus is Lord is an invitation to make Jesus our Lord, to enter into his kingdom reign and to take upon us the same attitude as him. And so the naming of Jesus is both a declaration and an invitation. He is the one who saves. And he alone is Lord. So now, what does this mean for us today? Life can actually throw us a lot of curveballs. 2021 for me had a lot of great joys and uh, moments that were hope-filled, but it was also filled with more sickness and death than I have experienced in my lifetime. I lost a niece uh, in January, 20 years old. She drowned. One of my best friends was unexpectedly widowed when her husband, who was undergoing some cancer treatments, contracted a really serious infection and died. At one point, I had three people on my prayer list who were on ventilators because of COVID, and a week later, only one was still alive, and she has really had a long haul. I've been in higher education for 10 years, and I have never seen my students go through the kinds of hardships and tensions that they've gone through in this past year. And I've really experienced those stresses of trying to protect my son from COVID when he's higher risk and still has no vaccine available to him. 
perhaps this was a year of sickness and death for you too, or perhaps of waiting, of wondering, of delays. It certainly has been a year of division in our country. Maybe it was a season of darkness, of despair, sorrow, of pain, of things just not working out like you had hoped. And maybe you have wondered, is God really saving? Is God really at work? Is he really in the business of writing things and establishing his kingdom? Maybe you've been looking for more concrete evidence that God's at work and you just don't see anything around you showing up God like you expected him to show up. Let me assure you today that Jesus is the right name. He is in the business of saving. And in fact, he's already won the victory through his death and his resurrection. And today, perhaps you just need to say the name of Jesus, both as a prayer of help, God, please, in this moment, save me. But also as a declaration of faith, God, even when I can't see it, even when I don't understand it, I, even when I don't know what you're up to, I believe that you are the God who saves. For others of you, maybe everything's just going okay, and you find yourself Instead of struggling with making, uh, with, you know, God, what are you, you know, are you saving? Maybe you're really struggling with Lord. <laughs> are you really the Lord of my life? The world's messaging is loud. It's all about me, myself, and I, my rights, my body, my agenda, my beliefs, my choice, my time, my portfolio, my stuff, my independence. The greatest goals are about grasping and gaining and growing in your popularity and wealth and prominence and pleasure. It's you do you, what happens in Vegas, you only live life once, so why have constraints? Maybe you're not wrestling with, is God saving? You don't mind God as long as he's convenient for you and doesn't really impinge on your life. Maybe you've just got that one area in your life where you're really struggling and you can't seem to let go and just give it over to God. Let me assure you tonight that Jesus is the right name. He is Lord of all. He is over all and through all and in all. And he wants your life, not so that he can control you and make you miserable, but so that you can truly have life to the full. And today, perhaps you need to say the name of Jesus as a prayer of confession and surrender, that he alone is God and that he is the Lord of your life and you accept his lordship. So whatever place you find yourself in tonight, the answer is Jesus. It is the right and most beautiful and perfect and exalted name because Jesus is the one who saves and he alone is Lord. And so by way of response, I don't know what you're facing, what scenario you're in right now, but I ask you to enter that space for just a second. Do you feel it? Do you, do you know what that is? I, I, I know where I am. Even though we're not gathered together, we are still collectively kind of networked together virtually. Let us tonight say the name of Jesus as a declaration of faith, that God has saved, is saving, and will save. And let's let the name of Jesus also be our confession that he is Lord of our life. Let's say his name together. Jesus, again, Jesus, again, Jesus.
Amen.